I got to start off the message with a question. How many of you hate waiting? You just hate waiting. You're not patient. You're not a patient person. You know, I, I hate waiting. You know, I hate waiting in lines. I hate waiting at the airport. I hate it when I'm on hold on the phone. I, I hate waiting. I hate waiting. I hate waiting for water to boil. You know, I just, you know, it's into pot, into everything, but not into boil. I mean, that should be an invention, right? You know, I, I can't, you know, I hate waiting for it. I'm tired, I'm tired of waiting for the Lions to win a championship. <laughs> Any championship, all right? It could be a division champ. I don't care, you know? For me, waiting can be a struggle, a challenge. And I feel like I'm better than I used to be, but in some ways, I'm preaching on my weakness today. And I bet, you know, a lot of us here, we struggle. But just to make sure I'm not the only guilty person in the room that struggles with waiting, I got a test for you. We got seven true or false statements. And I want you to count how many times you're true. All right? And so if you got true statements, just count that. And then, and then we'll see how honest you are at the end. So no cheating. We're in church, okay? All right? So work with me. Seven true or false statements. Let's see if you struggle with waiting. Number one, I've cut through a gas station to avoid a red light. All right, you don't have to raise your hand because that's against the law, people. I mean, come on. <laughs> they count the truths. I don't, want, I don't have to turn you in, you know, against my conscience. No, no, I'm just kidding. All right, number two, when checking out, I always look for the shortest line. All right, all right, good, you know. Um, I, I hope that you do that. You know, I read somewhere, um, I read somewhere that we, the average person waits three years of their life. They spend three years of their life in lines, okay? But how many of you are like this? You know, when you're at a, there's a line at the traffic light, traffic light, and it's the red light, you got two lanes, you know, who are you going to get behind? You know, you got one car, you know, that's a Mustang, Right, a fast car, and you got three cars over here. What do you do? You normally pull behind the Mustang, but it always fails. Because that Mustang's the slowest car, and I thought, oh man, I, got, I got in the wrong line, right? But uh, anyway, when checking out, I always look for the shortest line, true or false. Number three, I rarely go to the doctor because I can't stand waiting in the waiting room. I, I, I got to admit, I hate going to the doctor for one, mainly for that reason. I just can't stand waiting. All right, uh, number four. A yellow light doesn't mean slow down. <laughs> it means hurry up and get through. How many say that's true? <laughs> Number five, I don't care what fast food tastes like as long as it's fast. You might want to start caring, okay? <laughs> so maybe that's a true statement. Number six, people who talk really slow, irritates me. Okay, yeah, I see a head over there. All right, all right, I see some head nodding. All right, number seven, true or false? True or false? I'm timing the sermon to see how much time you got left. All right, anybody got five out of seven truths? You say, ah, that's me. All right, all right. Six out of seven. We got any six out of sevens? Seven out of seven? All right, all right, okay, good, good. But let's just be honest. Most of us, we struggle, we struggle with waiting. I've heard someone say it like this. <clears throat> we send packages 
by federal express. We get cell service from a company called Sprint. We do our finances, we manage our finances through Quickens. We get our gas from a gas station called Speedway, and we swim in a bathing suit by Speedo. And I just want you to know, in fact, I want to be very clear on this, men. God never intended for any of you to wear a Speedo like, like ever. Do I hear an amen, lady? <laughs> it's fun to laugh at some things that we hate waiting for, but let's just be honest. Sometimes there are some things in our lives that when we're waiting on something, it's actually very heavy. It's not so funny. We take a look at the screen, and it's on your handout notes, if you want to take notes. But on the screen, see this line. And this represents hell. This is where we're at. We're here. We're trying to get to there. That's where we want to go. You know what there is. There might be a destination. There might be a, a, a job. There might represent a person, a relationship. You know what there is. God knows that he wants, you know that God wants you there. And it's so clear to you that that's where you're supposed to be. But you're here. And you're in this middle area called waiting. From here to there, we're stuck in a season of waiting. And that's where some of you are today. You may be single, and, and you're looking for Mr. or Mrs. Wright. And you know that God wants you to be there, but you're waiting. You're waiting. Some of you are looking for that next job opportunity or that next promotion. And meanwhile, you're, you're waiting. Some of you are waiting on a healing. Could be a physical healing, but could also be a relational healing. Maybe you're waiting for your marriage to finally get to a place where it should be. Or maybe you're waiting on a family relationship to, to be restored or, or, or a friend. Perhaps it's the prodigal child. Maybe you're just waiting to have a child. Infertility is one of the most painful waiting that anybody can go through. Maybe you have a vision or, or a dream that God has for your life. Maybe it's a new business idea or a nonprofit idea. But for whatever reason, you find yourself waiting. And here's the thing about waiting. Waiting never looked this neat, like a straight little line. It looked like this, right? In fact, for some of you, you say, you know what? My life is a little bit more messy than that. It looks like this, you know? It got hills and valleys and court screws. And that sometimes, 
in the waiting season, I feel like I'm going backwards more than I'm going forwards. Waiting. And you know, the more that I read scripture and learn about the ways of God, the more I'm convinced that God uses the season of waiting as a tool in our lives. As a matter of fact, I struggle to find one man, one woman in scripture that God did amazing things with that he didn't allow them or put them in a season of waiting in their life. And that's exactly where we pick up the story of David today. We're in a series called The Shepherd King. We've been looking at the different parts of David's life. And today we see that David is in a season of waiting. I want to go back to the beginning of David's life in 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you were with us on week number one, we kind of hung out here for a little bit, but I just want to go back here to the beginning of David's life. And you remember at the story that God is, is going to look for a new king. He's going to anoint David to be that king. He rejected King Saul. And so God goes to Samuel, and God tells Samuel this. He said in verse one, he said, I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. And so Samuel shows up to Jesse's house. Jesse presents seven sons. None of them pass. And finally, reluctantly, Jesse brings up his youngest son, this scrawny little punk, comes in, you know, from the shepherd field. He's probably 14 years old. He's the runt in the family. And, and, and he presents him to Samuel. And, and Samuel said, God, is, is this it? And you know, is he the one? And God said, yes, that's the one. Anoint him. And it's so clear what God wants for David in his life. Look at verse number 13. Samuel took the horn of oil. By the way, this is like a, a, a horn from a bull. Okay, and, 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 and they made, made it kind of like a big giant cup out of it. And it's full of oil. And what would have happened is David would have got on his knees. And, and Samuel would have dumped this horn of oil all over him from the top. And it would have dripped all the way down to his toes. And so he's anointed in this you know, oil representing that the hands of God was going to be on him to be this next king. And, and, and he anointed David. And by the way, it's not a secret ceremony. This wasn't done in the back room, you know, you know, in the back room somewhere. This was very public. It said, the Bible said, he did this in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, listen to this, from that day on, the spirit of the Lord, it came powerfully upon David. Crystal clear that God has anointed David as king. So here's, here's our assumption. If God anoints you, if God makes it clear that something's going to happen in your life, then it should happen, right? It should happen. If David, for example, is anointed king, then David should 
automatically be keen. Sure, maybe there's some paperwork that gotta go to HR, but if your boss comes to you tomorrow and say, hey, you got a promotion coming your way, how long do you think you would get before that promotion? How long do you think that would take? Maybe a week, a month, two at most? How long do you think? And this is where David's life has so much to teach us about waiting, because watch this. God anoints David in 1 Samuel chapter 16. David doesn't become king until 2 Samuel chapter 5. Between 1 Samuel 16 and 2 Samuel 5, there are 20 chapters before David becomes king. Before he becomes king. And you're like, what, 20 chapters? Okay, cool. Is that like a month? Is that a year? Two years? No, 15 years of David's life. 15 years of the time he was anointed to be king to actually becoming king. Why? Why would God make David wait so long? Why? What can we learn from this? And if you're taking notes, here's the whole message in one big statement. I hope it'll stick with you. Ready? Waiting equals becoming. Waiting equals becoming. In other words, waiting is what leads us to becoming who God wants us to be. Waiting is the fertile ground that God uses to grow your life. Outside of suffering, waiting is the greatest teacher that God uses in your life. So, waiting equals becoming, and here's the second part of that statement, embrace the wait. Waiting equals becoming, so embrace the wait. And it, you know what? That sounds easy to say in church. I get it. That sounds easy enough. That, that's a good, amen. That's good. That's good preaching right there. <laughs> it is so hard to live it out. It is so tough to embrace the wait. To embrace it. Let's look at three bad assumptions that we make about waiting. And I hope that this will help us while we do the waiting season. What we do in the waiting, but we make three bad assumptions that sometimes causes us to miss out on all that God wants us to be in the season of waiting in our lives. Number one, bad assumption, number one. If I know what I should do, I'm ready to do it. I mean, if I have a, a, a clear vision that, that I know that God wants me to do this, then I should be ready to do it. Don't you think David thought this? I mean, God made it clear to David that he wants him to be king, and David knows that. I mean, you don't get a horn of oil dumped on your head for no reason. David knows this. So David should be ready, right? But not necessarily. 
See, God wants to develop David and want to grow his life. He had more training to do in the meantime, in the waiting. And oftentimes, we confuse this in our own lives. Sometimes we know what God wants us to do. We think, oh, I automatically got to jump in and do it. You know, when I was in elementary school, I knew God was calling me to be in the ministry. I didn't know what that exactly looked like. But as a third grader, I knew that I wasn't ready to be a pastor yet, okay? So that was a given. I went to middle school. I went to high school. And God was growing in me to, you know, to be ready for ministry. I went to a Bible college. I mean, those are logical next steps. I mean, I'm moving the football down the field, all right? And then I graduated from Bible college. I sent out my resumes. Now I'm hunting down churches, and I get, a, I, I get an opportunity to work at a church. I was really excited about it. And they said, Scott, we, we, we want to hire you in our church ministry, but, we have a, but here's how we want to hire you. We have a daycare in the church, and we need someone to help run it. Daycare? Come on. I didn't go to ministry school to work with babies, to look at dirty diapers. You know, I didn't, I didn't study three years and actually minor in Greek so that I could step out of Bible college you know, dealing with babies and parents. I was like, God, what are you doing? And I was in that waiting season in a weird little awkward spot for about three years before my pastor had an opportunity for me to move up. And, 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 but here's what I learned, that God used those three years to help me grow in my manager, management skills and people, relational skills, we had 125 kids in that daycare. What a big daycare. God used that. But I didn't see it right away. I was kind of bummed out. I kind of was frustrated. So then I get in the ministry at the church. I get, you know, I, I, I move, move up and I, I pass all staff. And, and then about 2004, I went to a, a conference. And was why at that conference? that God began to show to tap me about planting and starting a new church. And again, I was like, but God, I'm, I'm, I just graduated from daycare. <laughs> I'm quite happy where I'm at. You know, I don't even know what that looks like. But I knew that's where God would take me. That was the there he would take me. I didn't know what there looked like, but I knew. And so in that waiting season, for six more years, before we moved to Michigan to start this church. Start the church. Just because God called you to do something doesn't mean that you're going to do it right away. He got, he got your eyes set on a vision, but then he's going to start growing your life and developing you. If God's making you wait, he's developing you for whatever he has for you next. We just hate waiting, don't we? If you're taking notes, here's what I want you to understand. That a waiting season is never a wasted season. It's never wasted. And here's why. Waiting equals becoming. So embrace the wait. 
and place to wait. But what if your waiting takes so long? What if your wait is going on, it's going way beyond your reasonable expectations? How long should I have to wait to go from here to there? Sometimes in our frustration and waiting, we make a second bad assumption. And here it is. The longer, number two, the longer I have to wait, the less active God is in my life. There's been times in my life where I'm waiting and I'm asking God, I say, God, why don't you do something? Why, why, are, you, why are you so absent from my life right now? Why have you stopped working? And we can all fall into the trap. Don't you think that happened to David when he was waiting for 15 years? Sure, maybe year one, year two. You know, David's like, no, God, I'm, I'm rolling with this. I get it. You know, I don't mind a little weight. But what do you think David was thinking at year number 12, 13, and 14? He probably at some point said, man, God, have you, have you forgotten about me? Have you forgotten that I got dumped with oil and I was anointed to do this? I mean, God, did I not pass the test? Have you moved on to somebody else? I mean, God, you know, where are you? And you said, well, God, how do you know that? Well, I know that because David had a journal, and we can read his journal called the Book of Psalms. And the Book of Psalms says, you know, we see some of, some of David's most raw writings, you know, were so raw, so real. Some of the most painful moments and share that in the book of Psalms. Check out some of these verses. Psalm 59 verse 4. Wake up! Hey God, hello, wake up! Are you sleeping? Are you sleeping on the job? He said, see what's happening here. Help me out. Help me out here. God, are you, hello, wake up, God. Look at verse, Psalm 143, verse 7. Answer me quickly. I need a quick answer. I need an answer now, God. Not, not, not tomorrow. Not next month. Now. Have you been there? God, come on. I don't have time. You know, time, my life is short. I, God, you live for eternity. My life is short. Come on, let's go. I need a quick answer. He said, answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit is failing. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. He said, in verse 8, he said, let the morning. Hey, God, I tell you what, tomorrow morning. You figure this out by tomorrow morning? Let tomorrow morning, let something good happen. Because I'm, I've waited long enough. He said, let the morning bring me words of your unfailing love. For I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go. For to you, I entrust my life. God, I put my trust in you. But where are you? Where are you? Why are you making me wait? Have you been there? I know I have. Here's what we must remember. Just because you don't see God moving 
it doesn't mean that God is not moving. I've said it before, something similar to this, just because God seems silent doesn't mean that he's absent. He's working. And I would challenge you, if you're in a season of waiting, I would challenge you to read 1 Samuel 16 to 2 Samuel 5. Read those 20 chapters, and here's what you're going to find. You're going to find in David's waiting that God was moving. Chapter 16, God anointed David. Chapter 17, you know what happened in chapter 17. David killed Goliath, and God began to develop more courage in the life of David. In chapter 18, Saul made David a general. He goes out on his impossible mission and does well. God began to develop David to become a young leader. In chapter 24 and 26, we started a little bit last week where we talk about opportunities that David had to take matters into his own hands and to kill Saul. He could have instantly been king right away. But he didn't. David chose not to. And we see that David be, is developing a commitment and trust in God. That God's working all this. God's moving. In chapters 19 and also chapter 25, check this out, twice, David is saved by a woman. I, I don't think you heard that, man. Okay? <laughs> Let me say it again. David is saved by a woman. How many, of, how many of us guys would remove so much regret, so much regret if we had listened to that godly mom, that godly wife, or some other godly woman in our lives? See, God's developing in David. In these 20 chapters, God is shaping David's character. If you're in a season of waiting, God is preparing you for something. In fact, if you're taking notes, before God does something for you, he must first do something in you. Before he can do something for you, he got to do something inside your heart. And that's what he's doing for David. David said in Psalm 25, verse 5, Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. God, you're my guide and my hope. I wait on you all day long. Every day, God, I wake up and I'm going to trust that you're doing something, that you are not less active, but you are so active in my life, even when I don't see it, I'm going to trust that you are. Uh, I got the statement for taking notes. God delays are not always God's denial. Just because you're waiting doesn't mean that God has shut you down. So waiting equals becoming, so embrace the wait. But in our frustration of waiting, here's the third assumption that we make. And by the way, this might be the most dangerous of the all three assumptions. Assumption number three. If I don't see God working, maybe God's ways 
don't work. God, if I don't see you working in my life, then maybe your ways won't work. So God, here's what I'm going to do. I have to take things into my own hands. I am going to have to bypass your will and your ways. See, waiting is sometimes about control. Control. God, I need to control the situation. I've waited long enough, and you're dropping the ball. So now I'm going to take control, and I'm going to jump out the situation, and I'm going to make something happen. Think about how this might play out in your life. For example, let's say that you're in business, and you've got this deal that's supposed to go through. Or maybe it's a promotion that you're supposed to get. But it's not happening fast enough, and so you're kind of cheat just a little. You might fudge the numbers just a little. A little lie. It's just, it's just a white lie. Well, a white lie is still a lie. And you do it, and you say, God, I'm going to help you a little bit. God, I'm going to break your will in order for you to try to get you to do something for me. Or if you're single, and you're saying, you know, God, the whole, you know, not having sex outside of marriage, you know, it's not really bringing a whole lot of people my way. So God, I'm going to kind of cheat. I'm going to cheat, and you know what? I'm going to kind of step outside of your will for just a little bit and then when it's all figured out, I'll hop back in. It'll be all good, God. I just, you know, I just need to kind of help you here a little bit. It's not happening fast enough. Let me ask you, let me ask you this. You're in your marriage. And you would say something like this. Hey, my marriage is taking too long for us to get along. And so meanwhile, we're trying to figure this out. My knees aren't getting fulfilled. So I'm going to, you know, God, I'm just going to step outside. I'm going to bypass your will. I'm going to step outside of my marriage so that I can get my needs fulfilled. Just temporary. God, it's cool. I'm just trying to help you. When I get back, it'll be all fine and all good. Let me ask you a question. How well does it work for you when you go outside of God's will to try to help God along? How well does it work for you? Has it worked in the past for you? Listen to what David wrote while he was waiting. Psalm 27, verse 14. He said, wait patiently. Let me say this. Let me stop here. David didn't just say, wait for the Lord or be patient for the Lord. He put a double emphasis on waiting. Wait patiently. David's like, man, I really need to hear this myself. And I'm going to hear it. I'm not going to say it once. I'm going to say it twice. And so wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. I've got to really emphasize. Paul, David said, I've got to really wait on God. And it takes bravery. It takes courage to do what God wants me to do, to wait, to wait. And David had so many opportunities to take things in his own hands, to control the situation, to get ahead of God. He had so many times to do that, but he never did. 
And here's what David knew. Here's what David believed. He believed God's will, God's ways, in God's timing. David absolutely believed that it was God's will, God's ways, in God's timing. But oftentimes, you know what we do? We say, but God, no, no, it's my will. God, God, it's my way and my timing. And I bet some of your greatest, greatest regrets in life is when you live under those guidelines, when you try to live under your ways, your will, and your time. Instead of God's time. If you're taking notes, as we take away and as we kind of close out this message, at the end of the day, God is far more interested in who you're becoming than what you're doing. In other words, what if what happened to us while we're waiting on God is actually more important than what we're actually working for? What if the waiting is more important than the there? Because you can't get there until God molds you and shapes you in the waiting. We get so wrapped up in what we're supposed to do and who we're supposed to be, but we won't embrace the fact that God is doing something in our life to help us become he, what he wants us to be. Because waiting equals becoming. So embrace the wait. Embrace the wait. And here's a scary thought. Here's a scary thought. What if you don't, what if you don't embrace the wait? What if you don't embrace it? Well, you don't become who God wants you to become. And that, that should haunt you. I mean, think about it. If you're single, you might be saying, you know what, I want a godly man. I want a godly woman. And that's great. But in the season of waiting, are you becoming a more godly man or a godly woman? Are you becoming who God wants you to be? Don't bypass God waiting in your life. In my Bible college, I learned this important principle about dating and singlehood. It says this, don't look for the right one. Be the right one, and the right one will find you. Hmm. What about your work life? Like you want that next promotion, or you want that next job. What if you're not ready for it, but you push your head, you force your way up to the top. You, you, took, you know, you climb and, and threw somebody under the bus, you know, a little backstabbing to get there, and then you get there, you get ahead of yourself, but then you failed miserably because you weren't ready. You went about it the whole, way, the whole thing wrong. You bypassed God's time, God's way, God's will. And at the end of the day, here's what, here's what we need to learn, that waiting is about giving up control. It's about releasing control. It's about surrendering our control and giving it to God. 
Now I'm learning more and more about this about God is that God moves. God moves when I release control to him. In the waiting, we try to be in control. You know what God does when we try to be in control, when we try to do it my will, my way, my time? You know what God does? God just steps back. He steps over here. Ah, oh, Scott. No, when you're ready, I'll get back in. When you're ready to surrender, I'll step back in. But meanwhile, until you're doing it your way, I'm going to let you have it. We'll see how well that goes for you. And finally, when you let go of control and give it to God, God said, okay, uh, now, now I can do what only God can do. For some of you here today, you're in the waiting. If you're like, God's way's not working, you stop trusting in him. I'm here to say that you need to let go of control. God is more interested in who you're becoming than what you're doing. Waiting equals becoming. So embrace the wait. I, I heard this old song, you know, uh, while I was preparing this message this week. There's a lot of great songs out there, but this song is kind of popping my head over and over and over again. It's, uh, it's a song um, that I heard when I was in college, and I, it, I just kind of dug it back up from the archives of my brain. And, uh, and I thought it was perfect. Here's the chorus. It's just Hidden Valleys. Hidden Valleys produces a life song. Hidden valleys will make a heart strong. Desperation can cause you to sing. Hidden valleys turn shepherds to kings. For 15 long years, David lived in the hidden valleys of his life. And the waiting. I got to turn that shepherd boy into a king. David would never have become king if it hadn't been for the hidden valleys of his life. God, we ask you to help us today. Speak to our heart, challenge our heart. Some of us, I know a lot of us, we're in the in between here and there. We're in a season of waiting. So God, help us not to get ahead of you, but instead help us to release control and to trust you. To trust you to do, do what only you can do in our lives. Help us become the man, the woman that you want it to be. So in the waiting, Help us to see that it equals becoming. God, we desperately need you to help us to embrace it. To embrace it. It's in the hidden valleys of our lives that you turn shepherds into kings. In Jesus' name, amen.